Fire and Bones podcast. I'm Michael Crosswhite, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I am Nathan Loudon, the pastor of Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Follow the podcast, rate it. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. All right, so this is November 10th. 2022, two days after the United States election cycle. I mean, just saying those words makes me nervous. Like, I've been in a few conversations about Christian nationalism, about politics, about Democrats, Republicans, abortion. I mean, what a what a world we live in. You know, you you sent me something yesterday about the the headlines. Was that an actual headline? Yes. Yeah. Did you see what, what was the, it? What no, was it? Say it again. Do you remember? Norwegian man identifies as disabled woman. Yeah. That is an actual I mean, headline that I stumbled. That's where we I are. didn't read the article, but that did you, it's an actual headline. Did you see did you see the headline and article that I sent you about the guy? I think it was Pennsylvania that won He's um dead. I don't remember. He died. Yeah, he he died in October. Yeah. But it was too late to change the ballot, so they put up the dead Democrat against. Is that right? He was a Democrat against the Republican. I don't, no, remember I don't what think it was a Republican. Was I think it was an independent or maybe a maybe a Libertarian or something. And and they said that because a posthumous a, a person won an election posthumously, they now have yeah. a special election that they have to go into and they theorized right. that people um elected this person so that they would do the runoff instead of putting the independent or the libertarian in office something like that yeah it was for a state representative um uh, anthony uh, deluca was a de- democrat 85 years old died october 9th from lymphoma a uh, disease he had fended off, uh, which is sad to hear his passing. Um, but the Preven- Pennsylvania House Dems tweeted, while we're incredibly saddened by the loss of Representative Tony DeLuca, we're proud to see the voters continue to show their confidence in him and his commitment to democratic values by electing him posthumously. Now, I... <laughs> It, could could it have been like an honor that they gave him? Like we all know that this guy is not with us anymore and cannot serve, so we're voting party line anyway to make a statement. Is it possible that a number of people did not even know that he was dead? I mean, this it's it is a strange it's a strange event, and it's also possible <laughs> that they knew he was dead. And I would rather elect a dead person in my party than a living person in the other party i mean that that is right, right. more that, like that's where we're at that, let's just be honest that is more like that's where we're at what it was what it was than anything else because there's some yeah. people that were saying like well they didn't some people didn't know he was dead but then others would would rather have forced the special election i guarantee you 98 sure. percent of yeah, the electorate absolutely. didn't even know what would happen if we elected a dead guy, yeah. they didn't know what the rules yeah. would be after that. I guarantee yeah. you. And yeah. and I I, yeah. I could almost I, if I had, was a betting man, I would put money down 
that I would rather elect a dead person in my party than a living person in another party. Yeah, that that would not surprise me. That that that's that's where we're at. So we were, you know, the the news um, on both sides of the aisle were projecting, uh, suspecting, anticipating a huge red wave, and it ended up being more like a, you know, kiddie pool. You know, someone with a, a floaty trying to make some waves in the pool. Maybe. It didn't we'll it didn't have the same effect. <laughs> uh, do we still have some states that aren't in yet? Uh, as we sit this morning, but I haven't looked this morning. I, I kind of wonder doing about other that. Things. Like, I, I hear that. Like, I hear everybody saying, like, you know, not a red wave, not this, that, and the other. But so at the end of this, let's say it all shakes out where – the Republicans have control of the House and control of the Senate at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, because that's still a very much a possibility at, as of this yeah. moment in time. Now, who knows what's going to happen? But yeah. um, there's a special election coming in Georgia in a runoff in, Dece- in December, I think December 6th. Um, so if at the end of this, Republicans have 51 in the in the Senate and more than what is it more than 218 i don't remember I think it's more than house. 218 yeah. in, the, in the house um it, is it what's the difference in a, a red wave versus what we end up having you know it, it's kind of effectively the same thing still yeah it becomes a little yeah, bit I more significant so. than i think it it does it will fun it it would functionally in that branch of the legislative process and that, and that branch of our government have the same technical effect when it comes to voting and what you can do. And right. You can't do those anything things. more with 54 in the Senate than 51. It's going to be effectively the same thing. Right. But the, the the lack of the red wave is kind of these races that were close that weren't supposed to be. Right. Uh, some seats that went Democrat that they thought were going to go Republican. Right. That, but, you know, a lot of people thought this whole cycle was over, like in July. Right. But there's a whole, there's that, a whole other you know, side of that though. Like, so let's say it's, you know, not the red wave that they thought it was going to be at the same time. Look at what happened in New York, which is like Cuomo. I think yeah. won the last time there was an election in New York for governor Cuomo won that seat, like 66% to some, uh, some, something astronomical, like 20 points or something like that. Right. And and Hochul only won it by a few. So it was super close. But because it was so close, a lot of these down ballot House members went red instead of going blue. Now not all of them went red that they thought were going to go red, of course, but a lot more went red than 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 uh than have in the past. And so mm-hmm. what you could end up seeing is that the Republicans have control of the House as a result of what happened in new york of that being as close mm-hmm. as it was so red wave I, I get it like it's not like this giant tsunami of like the entire nation is rebelling against one party and in favor of another and that kind of thing I'm, I, I grant that but at the same time that is still very significant it's it's sort of like both parties kind of lost and both parties kind of mm-hmm. won which, mm-hmm. as a Christian, is kind of like uh, I'm kind of happy about that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I saw one guy, one guy that I follow on Twitter, uh, kind of a you know a political guy and an author said this is kind of a win for um, you know, a win for liberal government 
Like this is a win for this is this is we're, we're doing what the government is supposed to be doing. Liberal in, in the lower case liberal government. sense, not in the correct liberal in the in the classic sense of the structure of government where other views are open, anti-dictatorial, anti-authoritarian, right. um, anti-demagogue. The you know power is shared, views are open to one another. A proper that checks that's, and balances. That's what the go- right the government we're doing yeah. that right. The people are voting. There are there. There is no one who has absolute power. That's exactly what uh, a classic liberal government is supposed to be. Right. Right. Uh, the opposite being total domination by one party, which will have the opportunity to oppress or minimize or take away the rights of of another party, group, ethnic group, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, so yeah, it's good in some sense. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, in in some sense that 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 that's good, right? You know, I, I want to live in a country like that, right? Where it, 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 not only politics but government and policy are not dominated and dictated by by one party, and by one groupthink alone, and right. a very narrow groupthink at that. But can I throw in a but here? Because I think there's a big one. You always do. I think there's a big one though. Because yeah. if I were to say, if I were to, if I were to throw out some things that all Christians should be against biblically, all right. Uh-huh. If I were to throw them out, abortion, transgenderism. Mm-hmm. I think those ideas are only coming from one direction. Right? Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any Republicans who are promoting the killing of the unborn mm-hmm. or changing genders, supposedly, changing genders from one, mm-hmm. one to another or advocating yeah, for more than two. Especially surgically for children. Right, Yeah. That I mean yeah. that, and that would be an even more extreme position, right? That's yeah. only coming from one direction. So while I'm in favor of, I, I'm totally in favor of saying, look, there's a freedom of religion. You can be and practice whatever religion you want to be and practice. You can evangelize openly for your religion, and people are free to make a decision uh, on whatever religion they want to be a part of, if if any at all. I am for that kind of liberalism in the in the country. And if what we mean is, you know, we're great with the balance of power because it affords that opportunity for everyone, I'm for it. But if by what we mean by liberalism is now we're going to advocate for the killing of the unborn and the and the transitioning from children even, um from from supposedly one gender to another or disfiguring bodies and things like that in the name of yeah. feeling i think then we would have to argue that it's not good for it to be that kind of open right i don't think i don't think anybody's saying that or or any of us are saying that or no christian should really be on board with that kind of ideology yeah Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, yeah. 
so I mean, in some sense, like yeah, you know, the, I, in some sense, I'm I'm like okay, good balance of power restored, and and I'm fine with Democrats having some levers of power, Republicans having other levers of power, and they sort of balance and check each other. I, I'm good with that, but if what we mean by uh, by sort of liberal sort of a liberal form of government is that now anything is on the table, anything and everything is on the table, and all ideas are good ones. Then mm-hmm. we're I, I don't agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. And I would have to say, well, I'm not in favor of that ideology ever getting a lever of power anywhere ever. Mm-hmm. So right, yeah, that's all I got yeah, to say the on that. I, don't know. <laughs> I didn't have a good segue. Yeah, case. Case closed. Yeah, yeah great. That's been, it's been a good talk, man. I just really appreciate our friendship. Um, yeah, and the, and the difference is, wh- wh- how does that work when it comes down to the cake baker, for example? And, you know, does that mean that a cake baker can withhold a, a service to someone because of their uh, their gender identification or because of their marriage identification? It, it It's going to become laws somewhere and affect our daily right. lives somewhere. I'm not even disagreeing with you yet. The uh, There is a line somewhere between... Uh, free to think and say and believe whatever you want. Right. Anything, right? Uh, you can – in fact, we, we live in a country right now where you can believe that, that murder is okay. You can believe that. But we live in a country where if you commit murder, we are going to hold you accountable because we as a society say, actually, we don't think that's okay. Right. We think that's wrong. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm th- this is something that I, I think our country's wrestling with. I certainly think Christians are wrestling with. Is what is our basis for what laws we make in the country? Yeah. Everyone's making moral laws. Everyone has an idea about right and wrong. Yeah. You know, Obergefell v. Hodges was a moral decision by the Supreme Court. Was it 2013 15, or so? Yeah. 14. 15? Yeah. That it is good. It is okay. It's good for families. It's good religiously. It's good for our country that men and men and women and women should be uh, permitted legally to enter in marriage and receive all of those benefits. Um, 1972 did the same thing for abortion. We, we made a, a moral thing, yeah. decision that we put on all of. We we put on the whole country, mm-hmm. and then that was reversed last last year, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, this year, so, this past summer, it feels like a year. This year, yeah, yeah. yeah golly. Um, so someone's gonna say someone's morality has to be put in policy when it, when it comes to laws. Right. Now, an an error that I think. Uh, especially Republicans, but Democrats and, and the left on, and from a different perspective are, are dealing with, is what does it mean for us to actually how – do, how do we discern what and how far of our morals we should expect and demand all of society to adhere to? Right. And one error right now that is increasingly growing and has been since 2016 is this idea of Christian nationalism. I've been reading a few books about it. We, a lot of people don't even know 
have differing ideas of what it is um, and you know the debate would, would Christian nationalism mean uh, we're in kind of a theocratic society where all Christian norms are expected of all Christian people culturally legally uh, marriage abortion all of those things we have our way as Christians by putting our people in office and we make the policies and laws this is a Christian nation um, I would I would reject the classical definition for Christian nationalism and what it looks like in the Trump era. Um, what does that mean that we fill it with? So here, here's my conundrum. We have, we have, there seems to be two options. One is this kind of Christian nationalism idea. And that's a, I'm going to use that as a broad category. We take our Christian morals and values, we put them into the nation. We expect the nation to have policies and laws that reflect Christian morals and values, marriage, life at conception, things like that, uh, much less even some finer points down the, the, the concentric moral circles. Um, a guy named Paul Miller, who I hope we can get on soon, and we'll see if we can, his argument against Christian nationalism in his book, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism, he actually suggests that a better answer for forming a liberal democracy or liberal society like we have enjoyed for over 200 years is natural law. And he goes back to Roger Williams, who espouses that. Now, I, I need to go back and do some more reading and studying on natural law. Um, but basically, the argument is that our country was founded on natural laws that are observable to all of humanity, that they're universal, that they're discernible that Japan has a liberal democracy, that the Philippines have a liberal democracy, that maybe not Philippines, uh, South Korea has a liberal democracy, that, that these things happen, and they happen without having a Christian nationalist movement within them. Um, so, and that, his argument being, there are examples in the world, and I've already got my thoughts about history and World War II and how those places got to become uh, uh, liberal democracies. You hear me? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. I'm sorry. And, yeah, I'm resting my, yeah, my thought you were, fingers on my so, um, his response is that natural law is sufficient for establishing liberal democracies, classically liberal democracies. My first response to that is, yeah, but Romans 1. Ah, that's exactly yeah, what I was thinking. And yeah, but look around. Like, righteousness ultimately comes via revelation. Yeah. Righteousness and what is good and right comes from God revealing himself in his word, in his son, and by his spirit. And when we are given to natural law to determine what's good and what's right, what, what, what leads to human flourishing, what is the definition of love? What is a, a right and, and what, what's a right freedom of conscience versus you've crossed a line to no longer loving your neighbor? Right. That's what I mean. If you, we can read the law two different ways in the Bible. We we go to Romans uh, and we find that you know love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is summarized in loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, we can take that and we can go. Well, good. As long as I'm loving my neighbor, then everything's good. And you define love. You define your neighbor. 
everything's good. Everything's available, right? As long as you do it in the name of love. But you have to have to read that equation backwards and go, well, what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, the Old Testament law actually gives a, an earthly version in the people of God in time and history to what it looks like to love your neighbor uh, when it comes to exacting you know, interest from them, when it comes to you know, your, your ox uh, you know, kills my ox. What, what do you do? What does it look like to love your neighbor? Uh, it includes passages like Leviticus 19 that talk about same-sex marriage and, and homosexuality as expressions. Can you, can you call that loving your neighbor? So there's a discussion to be had there because I, I do think our country was founded on a mixture of natural law and Christian revelation. What we what we'd call natural law anyway, that that you know these these things are universal. We say, right? Everybody knows these things ought to be we ought to be free in these ways. Well, here we are, you know, 2022. I don't think everyone agrees on those things. I I don't think natural law is sufficiently serving us to establish. Uh, a democracy. Now, I could be dumb. I could be like, you know what? I, I'm not learned. I don't understand how government works. My philosophy of law and government is immature. But that's my first take when I read this. And there's, I think there's probably more truth and credence to it than I've given it in my mind. Um, but my my first response to that kind of argument is, it doesn't. I just don't see it working well for us right now. You've been doing a lot of head nodding. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm, I'm, this is a moment where I think in the future we should just do video podcasts <laughs> so people can see see the looks that you're giving. Me. That that's we missed that in the I audio. Know, but go ahead. No. Um. So I'm going to say something that is not well thought out and that never ends well. All right. But I'm going to go ahead and say. Yeah. It. Well, I'm I'm here to help. This you. is go a, ahead. this is a thought experiment. Okay. And I'm going to say, and I haven't read Paul's book. But um, and I do hope we do have him on. I do have it, and I've I've just haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, I, I'm gonna say that natural law doesn't exist. That all law is super. All let me let me back up. All good law is supernatural. And anything that would be considered natural law is inherently sinful. That what you see in Romans 1 is natural law played out and a rejection of supernatural law. So that what they know about God, they suppress and exchange his supernatural law for natural law. And, and and I guess we, we would call natural law then sinful. Um, mm-hmm. I know the classic definition of natural law is law in accordance mm-hmm. with nature. I, I get that. But mm-hmm. I think if we take a biblical perspective on law, that natural law is inherently sinful. And what we're seeing play out in the butchering of children and the, the, the – um, 
you know, in like transgenderism and, and those kinds of things, or even uh, so-called same-sex marriage and various other things, is mm-hmm. man's nature played out in law, taken to its conclusion. Mm-hmm. And which I think is exactly what you see in Romans 1. And I think that's essentially Paul's argument. Not not Paul Miller, the author, author but Paul the Apostle's argument in Romans 1. That um, although they knew God, they neither acknowledged him as God or gave him thanks. Mm-hmm. And they exchanged the glory of God for the image of man. And um, so I think what they're doing there is suppressing supernatural law which so I, I don't really know I, and I think most people couldn't necessarily define what Christian nationalism really is or what it looks like but I think mm-hmm. it's sort of if, if if anybody could kind of go yeah that's what I'm talking about it would basically be this era of the Trump uh, the yeah. Trump Christian the God and country yeah. Christian alright yeah Kenneth, Kenneth Copeland speaking at a Trump event yeah yeah uh, having Trump come to your church and interview him. And then all of a sudden your church becomes a panel for like Fox News and you sing yeah. some hymns like Make America Great Again, like yeah. First Baptist Dallas. Is having there. having Mike Pence at the 2018 Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah, and all of a sudden, yeah, Mike Pence at the, at the Southern Baptist which we've talked about before on this, I think yeah. on this podcast. Um, or, or, I'm still mad about or, it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And where, or... Um, or what, what was the other one that I just thought of? Uh, so there, there was First Baptist Dallas writing the hymn, if you want to call it a hymn, Make America Great Again, and singing it in their worship services and bringing uh, Sean Hannity, a Catholic. Um, oh, and then the other one was having uh, the two Southern Baptist pastors in uh, the pastor of First Baptist Dallas and uh, Robert Jeffress and the pastor of Prestonwood Baptist Church. Um, uh, I lost his name just all of a sudden. Jack Graham. Uh, yeah. As close associates with Trump to the point where they are advocating the buying of a book of a prosperity gospel so-called preacher um, in Paula White, where mm-hmm. they're like tweeting out, you should go buy her book. And it's a prosperity mm-hmm. gospel yeah. If you want to call her a theologian, prosperity gospel huckster, um, mm-hmm. you know, like th- I think if we were to put a put a, a, a our thumb on what we mean by Christian nationalism, we would say whatever that is. <laughs> However, you would define mm-hmm. that right there, that yeah. is bad. You know, yeah. But a syncretism of the church and the government on a. Um, in a way that there is no separation of church and state, culturally, politically, otherwise, there there is an intentional blending of them for sake of power and influence and culture. Yeah, but but I think if we're talking about uh, when we start to broaden it, broaden it out a little bit more, there are people that get thrown into the category of Christian nationalists who right. are really trying to advocate for a particular set of laws in this country mm-hmm. that have an inherently Christian backbone to them. Mm-hmm. And, and and the, the, I think there are also Christians who are arguing against that, calling it Christian nationalism. Yeah. But, but the people who are advocating for it are saying, well, what's the alternative? 
Natu- yeah. If natural, if quote unquote natural law is the alternative, then its logical conclusion is uh, mutilating children's bodies. That you you can't appeal to something uh, uh, that isn't universally held. Yeah, a possible view that you would have to be open to is that you know our perspective is this. You know, that because there in abortion, for example, there are human rights at stake. There is freedom of choice at stake. There's my body and my power over my body with me and my doctor that's at stake. Yes. That I have universal human rights yes. that are at stake. Yes. That anybody and everybody – I mean, that's that's the big argument right. in, in abortion is not killing babies is okay. Right. But that me having my choice and my rights is okay, which is why this stuff has been kind of dancing and moving around civil rights movement and those amendments and why people are uh why this has to be put into the constitutions yeah. now of in in the last election I mean on Tuesday it was California, Vermont and New Hampshire maybe that all put abortion into their constitution because they think it's a right they think it's a human right to be able to do that um and so yeah kind of going along what you're saying like what in natural law prohibits them uh, from saying that's a natural law? Yeah. Who who says that? Yeah. What, what what is the authority? Now there, I think there might be some. There's a there might be discussion to have about common grace in its relationship to natural law. That generally speaking, through history, most societies say eating your children is bad. Most societies will say this is not a good idea to murder people. But doesn't that but change it, in Romans one? Doesn't go f- where he says go far God gave them over. Doesn't that all of a sudden change? What is what is what place does common grace hold when God gives a society over? And, and which is Paul's argument in Romans one mm-hmm. that due to the suppression so the question, of God. He gave them yeah. over, and and it seems like well, that is to, a removal of common grace, is it not? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, you know, part of their condemnation is their hardening, yeah, in their their sinfulness and their blindness to their sin. But I think Paul there is talking about in Romans one. It still leaves. He's not answering the question about government in Romans one. He's not talking about Agreed. how to form a government in Romans Agreed. one. He's answering the question about. Are Gentiles who don't have the law, like he talks about in chapters 2 and 3, yeah. are they responsible for their sin? Right. Yeah, because all mankind have seen the nature and the power of God through what has been made, right. and they've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of, of man. Right. They've exchanged the, tr- the, the truth for a lie. Right. So, no one, so, yeah, the, you know, man on their own, without revelation – we're we're gonna mess up. That's why we're gonna I'm mess saying up our salvation. Any right? Any law so that's the good question, is supernatural. The question remaining is: How would Christians who um, have ideals for murder, abortion, marriage, for school, for what is education, and how do you educate a child, and when should a child learn what about sexuality? How do you form a government, and on what basis with uh, uh, half of a nation who don't believe there's a God. 
I mean, we just saw yeah. for the first time this year, the Washington Post reported, we've mentioned this a couple times, that uh, for the first time in America's history, the majority of Americans are not a part of a mosque, a, uh, a, a synagogue, or a church. Right. Either of those and three. That's just not just all of them, but any of them. Right. Uh, yeah. And so if you were, you know, we, what do you do when you have a, the church that has a revelation and therefore does truly know what is good and right and wrong? Uh, does that mean we know exactly, precisely what age you should be able to buy a gun or what age you should be able to drink alcohol? Uh, no, there's wisdom there. But when it comes to what is a man, what is a boy, and marriage, and homosexuality, and abortion, the Bible is just so clear that this is not good according to God who made the world we live in. How do you form and operate a nation who has nothing but natural law as as something that they would appeal to? And, and in many cases, I mean, here's the thing. <clears throat> it's not like... I'll kind of answer my own question as I work it out. Like, it's not like those who are pro-abortion are th- that they, in all of their rhetoric, want to be anti-Bible, anti-God, anti-Scripture, right? You've got uh, Nancy Pelosi who professes to be a devout Catholic, Biden who professes to be a devout Catholic. You've got Gavin Newsom in California who just celebrated. I mean, they celebrated on national news, getting abortion into their constitution after putting billboards all over America that said uh, something to the tune of abortion. If you want it to be your right, you've got to fight for it or join us or something or come to California. And on the bottom of it was a passage from Mark that says, love your neighbor as yourself with the with the reference to the Bible. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not like... It, it, we're in this spot where, you know, potential quasi, you know, Christian nationalists, are, you know, use that sweeping, are using the Bible, and the left or someone else is kind of appealing to natural law as the basis for government. Really, I, that's no one seems to be doing that in in the sense that we're discussing natural law anyway. And I could be, I welcome to be enlightened if there's some greater historical understanding of natural law than our simple use of it here. Um, but there's, there is a, there, the question is, what do you, what do you do? How, how do you form, someone's going to have to win and someone's going to have to lose. Can you form a government and continue to operate? I mean, if we could go back to 1776, what kind of government would be formed if our current politicians and our current division of worldviews was trying to make a government. Yeah. What what would we do? Yeah, would we? I think there would be two governments. Yeah, you yeah you wouldn't. Uh, you we, wouldn't. Yeah. They they wouldn't tolerate Absolutely. it. You know, the only way that that happens in 1776 is if there's enough people who are living within the ethic of what comes from revelation. Right. Right. The idea that all men are created equal and free. I'm not so sure that that has always been. I mean, in our our own country, in its founding and for its you know f- until 1860s, we we missed that. Yeah. <laughs> by natural law. Right. In slavery. Right. 
we didn't even believe all men were created equal, and we didn't put policies in place to to do it. So well, like we're yeah. we're our own self incrimination about that being a I, I think uh, an all in all in determining law. Go I ahead. think they believed it and they put it in they put it into the Constitution. They didn't practice it to its fullest extent, and whatever you want to call that hypocrisy or you or sure. short sightedness or just blatant sin. I mean, I think that's what that's what that is. Yeah. But um, they did write it into the Constitution, so it was there. Like the the premise right. of it was there, and it it actually led to the conclusion that produced that that ultimately produces civil war. So I, I do think that 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 was there, and I I think a lot of what Christian nationalists are doing is I'm talking about the broader Christian nationalists that people that are labeled Christian nationalists, not just not not the the Trump. Make America Great Again hymn singers in the churches and things like that. I'm not talking about them. I, they're really mm-hmm. hucksters, but but I'm talking about the people who are, you know, who earnestly believe Scripture and things like that. I think when they look at government, they go, go back to 1776, and the men that formed the government, some of them were devout Christians, some of them were not devout christians mm-hmm. but were deists of some some mm-hmm. variety or stripe and some of them mm-hmm. it's unclear exactly what they were i think george washington falls into that category of someone who seemed to have some proclivities towards christianity but then other times didn't didn't really want to disclose what he was publicly and things like that and kept most of that private okay fine whatever but the but all of them did have in common this sort of uh, what, what we might what we might have referred to back then as natural law of some sort mm-hmm. of we're not suppressing the truth of God. I may not follow it to its logical conclusions, and I may not want to be a Christian, but I do understand at least this very bare minimum. And on this basis, we're forming this government. And I think a lot of people in that sphere of the broader Christian nationalist movement are really going, what would it be like to come back to that? To come back to that moment when even the liberals or even the people on the other side or even the people that whatever at least had a respect and a reverence for God and recognized that the mutilating of bodies was very much against what, you know, what God has instituted since the beginning of human history. Um, mm-hmm. What would it be like to go back to that, even that mm-hmm. state? And, and where I think they miss, and if we're going to criticize Christian, this so-called Christian nationalist movement, I think what they miss is it, looking at practical means, governmental means, uh, electoral means to produce an outcome that is impossible. You can't go back to that, that, that date by arguing for natu- natural law. You have to argue for the gospel. It's, it's the urgency of actually preaching and teaching the gospel message because the only thing that's going to bring people back to an understanding of what God has instituted from the beginning is conversion. That's it. And how will they believe unless they're told, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul tells us that later in Romans 10. So, it, you know, the, the, the method is gospel preaching. But sometimes we go, that's not fast enough, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And and that's yeah. not it's not powerful. It's not enough. powerful enough. And that's a big one. And and yeah, and that's false. And I think too, here's what frustrates me a little bit 
in politics right now, especially in regards to Christians, and and where you can tell, and, and this is just a personal experience. So I, I'm I'm not saying this is true in every place and every time, but personal experience. It, it, it seems to be true that the people that get most swept up into politics and away from the gospel and 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 stop trusting in the gospel and its promises and and its power uh, are you can tell it because their opinions start to become driven by the Republican Party or the Democratic Party rather than by the gospel itself because like like as an example of that um, I find a lot of Christian Republicans that are very diametrically opposed to immigration and and I don't mean that they 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 well they advocate for a border and they advocate for laws and things like that i think you know probably you and i see very similar on that they you know a nation has a right to define its borders and 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 let people mm-hmm. in at the rate it, it sees fit but they'll go a step further as to actually have a bitterness towards immigrants in the in the country where where mm-hmm. you know someone that doesn't speak english they they have a they have a, a bitterness toward that person. Like they should automatically know English when they come here, um, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, and not learn it over time and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But what, here, here's the anecdotal part. Here's what we have found even just recently in our church is we have a, 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 a few, a, I would say more than a few people coming for whom English is not their first language. And what we are finding mm-hmm is that some of the people who are most receptive to the gospel message are immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I think what we as Christians may be missing if we go that route and we start hitching our wagons to political parties and their ideologies in the aim of like the kind of what may be defined as the Christian nationalist movement, then what we may miss is that that the actual penetration of the gospel message into the lives of people that might make the biggest dent in this country is in the immigrant coming in. Mm-hmm. Because many of them that are coming from Mexico and coming from other places don't have that um, sort of American baggage of transgenderism and things like that. And they think it's ridiculous. And they even have mm-hmm. that sort of 1700s you know, understanding of God, even if they don't, even if they aren't necessarily Christian, they have that sort of reverence toward God or toward the Bible and things yeah. like that. And and when we share with them the gospel, they're actually asking questions. Some of them are coming to my city anyway for the university. They're landing on the plane, or they're la- they're landing the plane in in Birmingham, and are being picked up by people from Tuscaloosa who are supposed to pick them up and on the car ride back to Tuscaloosa they're asking who is Jesus I want to know about this Jesus that I've heard so much about hmm. yeah and so you know we we might be missing if we sort of hitch our wagons to this sort of anti-immigrant ideology we might be missing what God might be actually doing in in bringing some here that that potentially yeah. that is very much key toward the gospel being saturated into our cultures rather than see this sort of yeah. progressive agenda being driving us off the edge. Yeah, and in, and in terms of 
uh, I think Legan Duncan has a really good talk about that, where he talks the same way about immigration and the kingdom perspective yeah. on who's coming to our country, why and how. Yeah. Um, so it might be something worth noting. But there, you know, in terms of forming a government uh, and and what it means to to be a government, the Christian nationalists want to say if you're not Christian, and largely the Christian nationalist movement right now is saying if you're not white. That there's not you're, that's not this is not really your country. This is not you didn't inherit this country. You're you're kind of guests here, and 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 will fundamentally, will functionally at least, if not outright, reject the idea of you know someone becoming a citizen of America by raising their hand and saying, "I will uh, submit to and protect the Constitution of the United States." So count me a citizen. That 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 doesn't even that they almost reject that. I mean, I um, want to be fair and, because I, I while I hear that and I know that there I'm sure there are people of all stripes out there, right? Like there are people with abhorrent ideas about just the world. Okay, so I get that. I grant that. That said, I haven't heard anybody argue that. I haven't heard anybody from the right argue. Uh, listen. It's out there. I mean, it, I'm sure – that's what I'm saying. I'm sure it is out there. But who? Yeah. I mean, let's point them out. Who is it that's arguing that? Okay. Another podcast. Maybe we'll ask Paul Miller. Let him help us. <laughs> so I'm sure there are people arguing. I'm sure there are people that are writing books. And you say this guy is, and I haven't read his book. But um, uh, do, are we allowed to say his name? We should just say his name. Stephen Wolf. Stephen Wolf, the, the book you just – I haven't up. read the book yet. I've read some of it. Okay. I can't see it because my face uh, the is blocking case, the title. It's called the case, the case for Christian Nationalism by Stephen Wolf. Just came out in November. I've read some of it. I can't claim to have read it yet, but right. I've picked it up and begun. Well, I don't know anything about the book. I don't even know anything about the yeah. guy. Um, yeah. So and maybe he may make some abhorrent arguments. I don't know, but yeah. But but by and large, that's not. I don't think that that is largely winning the day. I think honestly, like even people that are you know, so let's say want to build a wall and things like that, you know, like are arguing for that kind of whatever ideology. If an immigrant was coming in and said, I want to be an American citizen, I will submit to the law, I will protect the Constitution, I want to da 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 they might argue, yeah. you know, you gotta wait your turn. There's a line, there's a long line uh, of people that have been here first, but and you need to wait your turn, but uh would celebrate that and be fine with that, I think. On the whole, what I don't want to do is like put up a straw man argument, you know, that people that are crazy town are arguing and and sort of bash that all day as if that is the perspective that is by and large carrying the day because I don't think it is. Um, But, you know, I, I do think that for a Christian, if we're stepping back and we're taking a perspective of the kingdom, when we see a wave of immigration coming to this country in in largely area from largely areas that are dangerous one reading of that is well they're coming here and they're going to destroy the country okay I, I can understand that reading of it but the other reading of it is there is a mass of people that are coming this way who are coming from catholic backgrounds atheistic backgrounds virtually every other background but christianity and we have a uh, an opportunity 
to do something about it. There was a there was this was a, several years ago. There was um, uh, a I, I, this might have been during the Obama administration. Now that I think about it, um, th- there was a, a civil war in um, one of the Middle Eastern countries, and I, I want to say it was Iran. And there were tons of Persians, if if that's the country it was, being relocated from Iran and and being relocated in America by the Obama administration, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, they were and and we were even seeing this in in Texas and and I think almost probably all the fifty states were seeing it. They people were being asked people that had like uh, campgrounds and things like that were being asked to shelter them like just give them a bunk bed basically and let them stay on the campground for a, a little short time I don't remember mm-hmm. how long it was um, and and there were uh, Christians who were against it and were like really just diametrically opposed to what the Obama administration was doing and I think there were a host of reasons for that one was there's some sensitivity I think from September 11th that people kind of have toward anything Middle Eastern. I think there's a there's a little bit of like apprehension going or what are we letting into the country that kind of thing. So and mm-hmm. maybe some of that's good, some of it maybe some of it's bad. But I think there was some of that. But then I think a, a lot of it was Obama is doing this and therefore it's bad in the church. And and you know maybe maybe let's just say maybe Barack Obama had nefarious motives. Right? Maybe he had strictly mm-hmm. democratic motives and, and maybe he saw this as a political opportunity. I don't know. But what I thought was difficult was that many Christians were not stepping back. Rather than taking a Republican view of it or a Democratic view of it, why don't we step back and take a kingdom view of it and go, a country we could not get into if we tried with the gospel is coming to us. If we went there to Iran and shared the gospel in the streets, we'd have our head cut off. Mm-hmm. But they're coming to us, and we can share the gospel. And who knows, they might be going back one day. Yeah. We could see 10,000 people come to our city that were immigrants from Iran that were being housed here, share the gospel with them. If a 100 of them came to know Christ, we would send a 100 back to Iran as missionaries. Mm-hmm. I think that is as a kingdom view that neither party is actually advocating for. Mm-hmm. And and when we when we I think sink in to those political ideologies first, we miss the actual kingdom worldview that's at stake. Yeah. You know. So let me let me tie this back to what we were talking about earlier in the formation of government because thank you because I don't know where we're at we're we're all over the map <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> because there's there is a connection you, because <laughs> you're talking about kingdom you keep talking about kingdom and the kingdom of God on the earth as a separate thing from America yes there's a that they're not the same thing right. And the problem with Christian nationalism, by and large, is it's it's a new form, and it's a more subtle form today, maybe maybe not so subtle, of Zionism with the Puritans in the 1600s in America, where you could not vote in America if you weren't part of a church. That's how Roger Williams went to jail. There is 
So the question remains, what is the Christian's relationship with the government, period? Yeah. And w- what you're helping us think is we're, we always have to think of ourselves as outside every government that we're a part of. Right. And never see the establishment of an earthly government as an earthly nation state would be a better phrase, an earthly nation state as our hope, as our home, and the final consummation of God's kingdom on the earth. It's always a vehicle for doing something. It's always a way to love your neighbor. It's the water that we swim in. It's not our home. It's not our nation. The church is the people of God with an in, with an out, and with a king that exists spiritually on the earth but has locally uh, authorized passport stamping facilities called local churches that is our identity, that we are Christians, Jesus is our king forever, and we look at our government uh, that we're a part of, the American government in our case, as a place that we live right now, a country that we can serve right now, that God by his providence has put us into. So how do we think about that? I mean, obviously, we we ought to think of ourselves as Christians among the nations. And we are now Christians in a nation who's increasingly more like Iran, where there are, there are less Christians than other, uh, 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 other identifications religiously. And so when it comes to thinking about the the government, here's a here's a, a few thoughts. One, I'll give you three. One, government's God's idea. Government did not happen to God. It it did not form out of man's ideals. The first formation of government was out of Revelation in Genesis chapter nine on the other side of the flood where God put man in charge of justice when man shed man's blood mm-hmm. because of the image of God when man sheds blood by his by man shall his blood be shed that's God's edict to Noah on this side of the flood for the establishment of justice on the earth government's God's idea and two I would go to Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book ethics he talks a lot about how God has formed and ordered the world. Ethics actually is a book that Bonhoeffer was writing when he could not publicly preach, he could not publicly write because the Nazis had told him to be quiet. So he wrote what we know as his book Ethics Today and was hiding pieces of it in his garden so that Eberhard uh, Bethgage would uh, find it and ended up putting it into writing. That's how we have it. So with the Nazis breathing down his neck, Bonhoeffer says God has ordained kind of four mandates in the world. Uh, One of them is government. Family. One of them is marriage. The other is labor. And the other one is the church. That these are the four institutions that the Lord has mandated in humanity, right? In in the order of, of the world. And one of them is government. And and his his overarching um, his overarching argument is that the whole world Bonhoeffer says the whole world is underneath the sovereignty of Christ whether it knows it or not right it doesn't even know it but this is Christ's world right we know it yeah we we have that so that would be my second thought is Bonhoeffer the whole world and is relative say, to Christ on that, no matter whether it knows it or not on that wouldn't you say the church I don't know whether Bonhoeffer says it or not but wouldn't you say that the church stands apart from government and family and preaches to them both 
and corrects him. Absolutely. Both. So my third point is Martin Luther King Jr. You know, he 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 is all all that he is in history. One of the things he said to in regards to the church and state relationship that I've always thought was helpful was that the state is not the church's master. Yeah. And the church is not the state's master. The church is the state's conscience. Yeah. I've always found that really helpful. That what what can we do as a church in relation to the state? Like John the Baptist, proclaim, declare, in our case, vote, influence, and tell the government this is what God says. Yeah. This is what is good and right for you and your neighbor and everyone who believes and doesn't believe. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You God has not commissioned us to form America as a Christian nation. Yeah. But to be the conscience. We have been called we have been called and our mandate and our authority is to preach the gospel and those who receive the gospel baptize them, call them Christians and help and then discipline and love one another so that we create a witness by our polity uh-huh. that this is the kingdom, this is the politic of the Lord under Jesus Christ on the earth in every nation. Yeah. So I thought the Baptist faith and message, uh, shockingly maybe, <laughs> I think it's helpful on this in uh, – <laughs> Article number 15, the Christian in the social order. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. Yeah. I think it's a good sentence. Good I sentence. like that sentence. It is. It's one of the, it's one of the best sentences in the Baptist faith and message. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, and it and it talks about opposing explicitly racism, greed, selfishness, vice, sexual morality, adultery, homosexuality, pornography. Those things are listed in the Baptist faith and message because they're so culturally dominant in our day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that's for me that's helpful to think about my relationship between being a Christian in the kingdom of God and the government is uh, I ought to, out of love for my neighbor, try really hard to influence and sway the government, remembering the government is never my kingdom. Right. I've been, I've lived in Hong Kong. I never became a citizen of Hong Kong. I I could have. I was on track. I need a few more years and some paperwork. I could have been a a resident. I could have been, you know, had the opportunity to vote. And I just think I just don't know that even though I have a lot of patriotism toward America and military in my background, and I thought about going into the Not military. In your and background, I love for in the your family's background. July, my family's background, <laughs> my my no, no heritage. Valor. <laughs> yeah, um, there is a sense in which, as a Christian, this is just the nation that God, by His providence, has allowed me to live in. Yeah. It's not. It's not my country. Yeah, but I gotta help be its conscience as a Christian in all the ways that I can. Which be. so all all the things that you just said there there's one uh, there's one group that that doesn't fit in, which is a group that says uh, 
save the nation at all costs, you know, and, you know, whatever is required and sort of that Christian nationalist kind of thing that yeah. we've been pointing at. And, and there and it? there is kind of a big umbrella Christian nationalism. There is also an academic Christian nationalism in America in universities that's being taught yeah. and argued for. Yeah. It, that it's not just kind of a, you know, Trump rally Christian nationalism. There are arguments that this is how we save America yeah. that are being written and defended. Right. And and so we we we're kind of looking at that going, no, 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 but this world is not our home. We are the conscience mm-hmm. of the government. We are the conscience of the family. We are the conscience of the the workforce, as it were. Uh, we are the conscience of the people around us, and we are to preach the gospel. That is the the if you want to save any country, you know, save any people, uh, it's the gospel message. And and you advocating for another pathway is basically uh, capitulating to uh, essentially the beast okay so we like we've been kind of looking at it that direction there's another mm. group of christians that are on the exact opposite end of the spectrum that would say you know they would they would not be involved in any way in the political process not l- refuse to read news articles you know Push away from all that is involved in politics because, mm-hmm. look, this world's not my home and I don't care. It just, it bogs me down. I don't even want to think about it and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And and I think that is bad in an opposite direction because of exactly what you just said, that mm-hmm. if we are to be, as the church, we are to be the conscience of the world that we live in, we're to advocate for the vitality and the the well-being of the community in which we live as exiles, then perhaps Mm -hmm. it would behoove us to be aware of the things that are going on and understanding what the Bible says about those things so that we might engage in whatever way the Mm -hmm. Lord provides for us to be able to engage, whether that be with a neighbor Mm -hmm. or a family member, maybe uh, engage from even from the pulpit, uh, or or from various other means and methods, that we might be able to engage the culture on the basis of what we know and understand and have thought through and have applied the gospel to, right? Mm-hmm. How can we possibly be that conscience if we have removed ourselves entirely from the political process because, quote-unquote, this world is not my home? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. There's like that yeah. that idea that's being advocated. I think, um, and I don't know how much it's it's actually making its way around now, but it, I think it's called the Benedict. Mm-hmm. Is it the Benedict Principle? Yeah, the Benedict Option. Benedict Option. Yeah, this is the Dark Age. You know, go up in the cave, hide, and we'll come back out when we're when we're wanted again. Yeah. And and I don't. I think that's that's also a wrong way to look at God's kingdom. It's removing mm-hmm. the conscience altogether from the world. And and I, and it seems to me that removing yourself from that situation or removing ourselves from that situation doesn't doesn't accomplish what Christ actually left us here to accomplish. And it seems like a a, a way around being persecuted <laughs> and being put to death. Mm-hmm. And instead, mm-hmm. if you look at John the Baptist, who is kind of maybe a little bit of a model 
in how he interacted with the government mm-hmm. basically just continues to preach the the gospel and preach the mm-hmm. word of God even to governmental powers if that's what he's given even up to the moment yeah. where he's beheaded here here's how I here's a litmus test I think for how we know we've crossed a line because I, one of the hard things is well how do I go die to save America do I uh, take my kids out of school? Do I vote? Do I do I charge the Capitol on January sixth? Like, what do I? How far do I go to defend and to argue and see? My, you know what what we have in Revelation be that which orders our government? How far do I go for that? Um, and uh, in a, in a political sense, obviously, when it comes to someone taking away our freedom and our neighbor's freedom. I think in the 1776 way, we ought to be ready to say, like we did in World War II, no, we're not going to stand and watch that happen. But when it comes to, um, you know, when have we crossed from a good Christian conscience to a bad Christian nationalism, The we see that it we have crossed from the church being the conscience to the the government kind of being in control of the church in some way culturally not officially not on paper not by law but instead of seeing pastors church members talk at the water hole at work and go to campaigns and maybe even pray an event or speak in an event, you see the government, you see politicians coming into the church yeah. and ordering and directing the church so that there's a blending of the two yeah. where we think it's the same thing so that President Trump comes to speak at First Baptist Church Dallas that's not the church being the conscience of the government. That's the government coming. You know, to me, it's representative of politicians coming into the church and blending the polities of the government, the politic of the government, and the, the polity that is the people of the church. So that it comes, you know, the, the, the goal is that the, you know, the force is outward from the church toward the government, but then there's kind of a backflow back into the church that begins to affect the order and the teaching and the structure of the church to where the church will do whatever it needs to do to make sure that our party goes and gets power in the government. And we we actually end up losing Christianity mm-hmm. in those cases, not the government. Yeah. And that's worse. Yeah. So much worse. Yeah. Um, there, there should – it seems like there should be um, – I think to put a put a – Maybe a um, what's what's the right word to to um, maybe it's a, it's a phrase that I think we commonly use in culture just colloquially is is calling balls and strikes like there should be a mm-hmm. sense in which the church from the pulpits mm-hmm. from the in the gospel sharing and things like that uh, are mm-hmm. calling balls and strikes to both parties and we're saying mm-hmm. uh, you know we're being in a sense the umpires. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I think that there, any, any time we as Christians begin to advocate for and, um, and, and go into and invest heavily in solutions that are outside of engaging someone with the gospel message, 
and we try to attach the name of Christianity on that or the name of Christ on that, I think we, we've got a problem. And, you know, if it's like storm the Capitol, you know, and, and, you know, advocating for the January 6th type things as a means of restoring Christ to the name, Jesus didn't even do that when he was afforded the opportunity there with Pilate. And he, he mm-hmm. even said, if if my kingdom was of this world, then my people would be storming this place, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not. Yeah. That's the point, right? And, and because that's not what I'm after. And mm-hmm. so we're after the hearts of men and women. And the way we do that is with the gospel, not really by physical means. And so if we're advocating for or thinking that by the method of physical means— um, even voting uh, or or violent methods, voting perfectly within your right, but violent methods that are perfectly uh, criminal, um, we're advocating for those as a means of restoring the the gospel somehow to the nation. Th- those two things don't connect, mm-hmm. you know, and and so it seems like uh, we as Christians should be thinking, okay, if I'm the conscience, if we're the conscience, I need to be involved. And that I need to understand the issues. I need to understand the gospel implications of all of those things. Um, and I need to understand how all of this connects so that I can talk to, I can argue winsomely with my friends and neighbors and coworkers. Um, mm-hmm. I can vote with conviction and understand what's mm-hmm. being accomplished in my vote. I can understand basics of civics and things like that and how all this this country works. I can understand all of those things and stay involved enough that I, I get it, but not so hitched to one party that I can't call balls and strikes on them, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but that I can say yeah, the and- idea that we would reject immigration because you want, you want a wall is preposterous. This is a means by which we can share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So we need to be able think, to do that. Absolutely. There, there is a question about what we do. What What is the church's authority and ability to stand between the oppressed and the oppressor? So, like, if we go back to World War II, the church should support the government and the government's military going to step in between Hitler and Europe and Jews. But the church should not launch a crusade where pastors are getting their swords and their guns and getting Christians to get their tanks and go fight Hitler as the church. Like the church is here on the beaches of Normandy now. No, God has given the government the sword for that purpose. A question kind of is right now that we're stuck in is what do we do when our own government is allowing the slaying of millions of children, what is our authority and what is our arm of power to do something about that? We definitely should not step back and say, you know, well, you know, we're the church, not the government. What can we do? Let's just preach some sermons. Yeah. Um, but we we're gonna we're gonna keep bumping into limits where we will begin to use devices of earthly power sure. and of earthly ideals of ordering men and uh, not 
trusting the Lord when we step outside of the authority God has given the local church and the authority God has given the government. And remembering that every politician, every person in every state, every head, um, like like Herod in Acts 12, is going to answer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, ju- no one gets away. Not me or not you. No one gets away. Yeah. You know, everyone's going to answer. Um, we're all going to answer for our sin in our hearts, and every politician will answer for how they politicked and how they governed. Every president for how they – I mean, just think about answering yeah. for a country before God. Yeah. Uh, well, and it God, does, God, God is judge. It does raise the, the issue of uh, when is the time to rebel? When is the time where mm-hmm. it's permissible? You know, I mean, I think it comes back to you mentioned Bonhoeffer earlier. He's a good example of of, of mm-hmm. that. Of like, yeah, Bonhoeffer yeah. was in a plot. You know, yeah. engaged in yeah. a plot to assassinate Hitler. And you know, on the surface, I don't think anybody would disagree that it would have been better for human history for Hitler to be taken out. Mm-hmm. You know, but. At what to what extent should a Christian and when should a Christian mm-hmm. be engaged? And I think some maybe fairly would be listening to this and going, yeah, yeah but you don't understand. And I, and I so mm-hmm. I concede yeah. that there is yeah. there is a significant issue with with you know with with that. And I think it's a it's a yeah. decent question to answer. And I think maybe. We should do a second one and, and take up that that question, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, what what Tuesday showed us that right now where we are is Christians and the Christian worldview in terms of conscience to the government. Even though it wasn't the red wave we were hoping for, we're in it. We're in it. Yeah, like that. That is the place in the realm. Yeah, right now. Where things are still being decided, yeah. and and I, so we're going to take this for up the next for time. the next generation. We're going to take this up next time because there's a, there's a host of other things in here like uh, that are already happening across in some places in Europe where you can't homeschool your children. You um, yeah. There, there's okay. So if you if you advocate for a Christian worldview or you don't allow your kid to be you know transgendered if they want to or whatever, they yeah. can be taken away from you. That's being argued. That's right been now. a discussion in Texas. Right. Yep. So. Uh, I think it would be worth it. At what point does the Christian go, that is a bridge too far, and now it is time to actually rebel, actively rebel against the yeah. system? And and where is that? Give bridge? me liberty or give me death. Yeah, yeah. Are we there? Yeah. 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 So next week. All right. All right. All right, man. See you. See you then. for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.